Hello and welcome to episode 117, 117 of the Right View Life podcast. I'm Ian Broom. And I'm Donna Sorensen. And this week we're going to be talking about writing, publishing and reading related matters, just like we do every single week. It's totally right. I was just a little bit distracted there. I was wondering, do you know how many episodes we've recorded together now? Well, that's going to be difficult to come up with off the top of my head because you did about three or four kind of guest appearances before you came on board full time. Oh, yeah. yeah not including those. 20? Be quite... Yeah, I was just say that. That's interesting. Huh. You did 117 of them now. Well, it's a funny thing. See, this is quite an interesting thing because we've had a, we've had new listeners. It's actually it's not interesting at all, but it's true. We've had um, uh, new listeners, of course, since we joined Five by Five, and we've had a few people get in touch and say nice things about the show, and they thought that it was good and that kind of thing, which is nice. Recommend everyone gets in touch to say that if they think it. Um, but also that they were going back to listen to some old episodes now. The podcast used to be quite different, <laughs> um, and, and a one-man band. Well, sort of. I mean, it, it it went through periods of change, and it went several months without there being an episode at all. So now we're on five by five, and previously, when we were on seventy decibels, you know, like to run a relatively tight ship. When when we haven't got children forcing our plans um, or anything like that, then you know, it's a fairly regular weekly thing. You know, let's say slightly below semi-professional um <laughs> self-deprecating straight away um no not straight you were self-deprecating about three and a half minutes ago was i okay. yeah you said oh this is not really interesting at all before you started saying something <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, but but uh, a long time ago i i just used to do I, I started off quite well the first episode was just me talking for 10 minutes saying oh look i'm doing a podcast and i hadn't got a clue what i was doing then i did a few episodes with bad equipment where um it was with someone else probably manuela boyle and um and it was about a specific subject so getting there and then i had no one to, she went and had a baby i had no one to do it with so i thought i'm going to do it myself and it's going to be four or five minutes long and that's going to be really interesting and after about 10 episodes i realized that i didn't really have that much to say on such a regular period uh or with such regularity so i stopped and then that was when a couple of months later, young Mike Hurley, who's now sort of the um, assistant chief godman of uh, uh, none of that's true of uh, five by five, uh, when he ran seventy decibels, he said we you know we were sort of internet pals and we said let's do a show together. So in some ways, I feel like that it only really started at episode. I think it's around thirty three or thirty four. That always in my head. That's kind of when it started and it and the podcast sounded a bit more professional and a bit more like um, a, a proper podcast as people know them today. Before that, it was just kind of a hodgepodge of audio files. But when we moved over to 5x5, five five, Mike did give me the option to get rid of all those and I decided to keep them because I just thought it was... Uh, it kind of plots my history in some ways, my my kind of development from being um, uh, an unpublished idiot to a uh, published wonk. Podcast juvenilia, indeed. So, um, so yeah, there's a brief history of the podcast that I don't, I don't know if you asked for that or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, um, yeah, that's very interesting. Actually, more interesting than you give it credit for. And uh, based on the fact that we had a whole episode last week about being self-deprecating, I think that we should try 
to not introduce what we're going to say with saying this is really boring or not interesting at all. No, are, you, are you on board for that? I'm on board for that. And we can perhaps go into my first my first bit. Yeah, let's um, do it. On uh, a positive note. Where I where I where I, I I unfold my clothes, pull out my trumpet. Oh, don't! And toot loudly. It's too early in the evening for that. Because um, this, I don't know why I didn't mention this last week. Maybe it was because I was so caught up in uh, talking about being self-deprecating. But <laughs> um, uh, this week, I went to pick up my award. I've won an award. Imagine. Um, Ace for Angelica, my novel, won the Word of Mouth Award at the Coventry Inspiration Book Awards. Coventry is a town, a uh, c- city in um, in the UK, and um, I won the. Pri- I knew that I won the prize. We won it uh, a few months ago. The the results were announced, and it was voted for by actual people. Um, I did an event there in 2013, and, and and people came to hear me talk about and read from my novel, and. Um, and that led to me being nominated, and of course, I asked people to vote on online, like you know, through the blog and through this podcast. Said, you know, look, I'm up for this award. Will you vote for me? And I won. So I went to pick up that award uh, this week. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that first of all because it was good and I enjoyed it, and secondly because um, it ties back to the self-deprecating thing. I found I found myself self-deprecating myself which I don't think is a real phrase, um, uh, to another author. And um, and as I was doing it, I thought back to our conversation last week and was silently punching myself in the chin in my head. Um, anyway, I did. first of all, I did an event during the day where I, where I talked about uh, my book. There's a small group, like a, a reading group, and... Um, and um, and some of the people there had read the book, which is not always the case. So that's always quite daunting because you think, well, what of uh, what do they think, and what are they going to say? That kind of thing. I should say hello here to uh, Bethany, who um, who spells her name in a very unusual way, but she came along to that session, and she also um, came along to the awards ceremony in the evening and did a, a marvelous speech. Um, uh, and I told her to listen to this podcast at least fourteen times. And I wrote it in a book that she asked me to sign. So I suspect, well, I hope she's listening to this. I couldn't have done any more to encourage her to do so. So (laughs) hello to Bethany and apologies for the next 40 minutes. Um, There we go. Some more self-deprecation. Oh, for goodness sakes. I can't help it. I think it's just, uh, I don't really, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so I was chatting to um, uh, an author just as we were waiting. You know, we had photographs for the local papers, which is great. uh, And I nearly missed them, which is another story. Um, what and were they going to do if if you weren't there? They said, well, they'd started. Don't you worry. They were going to take those photos. <laughs> what of the wall? Well, I tell you, this is this is this is, uh, part of this podcast. As I've said before, is I, I've always wanted it to be, and it just is a uh, kind of uh, tries to show that authors, um, whether unpublished or published, are just normal people trying to make their way through life. <laughs> and this is a perfect example of of kind of the sort of ridiculous situations I. And I, I guess other people must get into. Was it a toilet-related incident? Not toilet-related. That's another issue completely. I did have a toilet-related issue throughout the day, though. I don't want to go into any detail, <laughs> but I think I was. I think it was the nerves. Of course, it was there. There you go. Really bursting the the uh, the bubble of the author persona. There, so Salman I, Rushdie. I wonder whether he's ever had you know the trots, the nervous trots before doing a, a festival or something. Oh, well, he has problems with piles. 
<laughs> Rushdie. That's a whole nother podcast episode. Anyway, carry on. So what was the non-toilet related but everyday incident that kept you from your local paper photos? It's extremely simple. I was in Coventry practically all day. We're talking about six hours because my event was quite early than the, the awards summary was later on. And I spent, I bought a pair of shoes in between time. That's how much time I had on my hands. And um, I had a muffin. Um, this is gold. Podcasting I, gold. And so I had a lot of time and I even had time half an hour before to go and sit in a pub nearby. I'm talking 20 metres away from the venue and just have a cool glass of lemonade to calm my nerves and gather my thoughts. And at 10 to 5, which was when we were supposed to meet, so we were, on the piece of paper we were given, it said, meet at 5 o'clock. I met the mayor of Coventry. I was meeting the mayor at 5 o'clock. And I rolled up at 10 to. I thought, well, nice and early. I even thought maybe I'm too early because I was early, you know, it said five and I was there at <laughs> were 10 you like trying to time it so that you like, you were the, on time, but like, you know, just slightly after what they'd said so that you looked a bit cool. No, I was, no, I was 10 minutes, early. I was 10 <laughs> minutes before the, this letter came from the mayor's office. And so, okay. You were like, this is serious. It's serious. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to be late at all. I'm not going to be like a minute past. I'm going to be there at 10 to, I mean, 10 minutes early before the time that was on the piece of paper and so I casually walked down. I even thought as I walked to it, I thought, shall I give it another five minutes? But I thought, no, I'm going to go in because there were some people milling around. As I got in there, there was a group of what turned out to be authors in a semicircle <laughs> posing for a photographer who was arranging them into a position. And I had to go through the indignity of asking someone nearby if these were the... If these were authors, <laughs> I said, are these, are these, who are these people? I said, I said, are these the authors who've won the, won the prizes? And someone just said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I had to All say, the important ones are here anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I had to say, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm one of them, I think. <laughs> like, oh, I think, no. I knew that I was. Oh, no. Did you say, I think as well? Did you? Yeah, of course I did, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and, um, and then someone else who I'd been emailing previously, obviously saw me, came over and said, are you in? And then I kind of had to shuffle onto the end of these photographs like a giant numpty. Anyway. You made it? Or you haven't seen the, the paper yet, so you don't know whether they chose the ones with you in. I've, I've <laughs> I, well, let's just see that they have. Anyway, shortly after that, I was eating a cheese twist and talking to an author uh, called Guy Bass, a lovely bloke, published 20-odd books, which is part of the story. And... Um, and it was insanely hot in this place as well. So I was sweating and just, you know, I'd just found out that it was I was, I was going to have to do a speech as well. So the whole thing was much grander and much more official and, uh, and you know, much more... Uh, it was brilliant. I mean, it was fantastic. And uh, But I, I don't think I was quite prepared. You know what it's like, everyone. I talk about this all the time. I've been in baby world for so long. The idea of going to a big fancy award ceremony as an author is kind of miles away from the way, I'm, the way I've been uh, thinking and behaving recently. So... Anyway, I was stood talking to a guy, never met him before, and he'd, uh, I can't even remember what the question was that he asked me, but I'd started talking about how I'd won this award and the fact that it was a voting system by uh, people who voted for it um, uh, online. Um, and so it was voted for by readers. And I've won this award. You know, I've had, it's, it's not like I'm nominated. I've already won this award. It's official. <laughs> I'm a winner. Um, and... I was talking about it, and I described this on the podcast a few episodes ago, if people remember, and I was saying how I thought the reason I'd won uh, was because I'd had this 
you know, I've got the blog and I've got the podcast, and basically I'd asked people to vote for me, and 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 on, when I was talking about it on the podcast, I was talking about it as a positive thing, you know, the fact that you build an author platform in any way you can, and that gives you the opportunity when something like this comes along to ask people to help you and support you. Oh, did you give Guy Bass the whole the whole build up to? Did you give him that? Well, I was talking about uh, yeah. I basically <laughs> said what I just said, but I also I also framed it in the way that. Because if you remember the, the 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 other people who I the people who I beat the losers as I like to call them were people like Alan Bennett and Marcus Suzak and Barbara Kingsolver huge best selling authors and I beat them <laughs> um, and and so I was like framing the, I was just saying this to him and I was I was basically being as self deprecating as an author possibly can I was effectively saying obviously I don't deserve to win this award but because I've got a social media presence I wouldn't um, and and he quite rightly kind of stopped me and said uh, I can't remember his exact words but he basically said you won an award that's amazing you deserve to win an award and um and I kind of just had to just check myself and just think what are you doing like even at an event where (laughs) (laughs) where I'm a winner (laughs) (laughs) I could I can totally picture it and with the sweat and everything it's just I can just see it he was sweating as well I don't I don't know if he's going to listen to this but I think he would admit that it was a very hot room can't wait to see the pictures in the in the local paper. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. So, but you know, uh, just. Uh, but it all went well. It all went well, and and for all of you writers out there, it was one of those moments, and they 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 can be few and far between, but it was really one of those moments where I just thought, all of those many, 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 many hours battling away at my manuscript, trying to write a novel. Were, uh, that was one of those moments where it was like, okay, this is why I, this is why I did it, because I wanted to be at something like this. Yeah, th- those moments don't come around very often, and it was definitely one of them. So you know, oh, that's cool. Joking that's aside, yeah. Oh, that's good then. So, um, so you've got your award. Where is it? Um, it's on the shelf downstairs. I got the actual, an actual, an actual trophy. Like I say, is I had to do a speech. It was all very official. Is it? Is it on display in your living room? Yeah, it's on one of the bookshelves. Good. Very proud. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, many more to come, we hope, eh? Yes, definitely. That's definitely going to happen. Good. Positive. <laughs> Fantastic. So you've had a busy week then? Very busy week. So you probably haven't done much reading of articles and things like that in the meantime? No, but you've been doing it for me. That's the main thing. Well, kind of. Yes, I have actually been been doing a little bit of reading this week. I just started watching a TED video before we were recording this, actually, which I think, you know, I talked a little while ago about the fact that I felt really guilty that I never watched TED videos that came through on my Facebook feed. And this one, I was like, okay, just stop everything. I've got to watch this. What a very modern modern thing to feel guilty for. It used to be adultery and theft. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, The pressures of modern life, eh? What we feel guilty about now is just so bizarrely complex. Anyway, I'm not going to stress out about it because this video was about stress and how um, we know that stress is bad for you. But actually, the reason that stress is bad for you is because you know it's bad for you. I'm just going to rephrase that. Stress can be extremely dangerous for people if they think it's an extremely dangerous thing. Is, are, are these your theories or is this is there no. some medical evidence to back There's this up medical evidence to back this up they <laughs> that, that they did surveys and i'm going to put the link in the 
the show notes, don't worry, in America about stress and people that had um, gone through periods of extreme stress were more likely to die only if they thought that stress was a bad thing for you. People who had gone through periods of extreme stress but didn't, it didn't really bother them and they felt that it was a, you know, a healthy part of life were no more likely to die than anybody else. So are those people who are going through stress and thinking it's all fine, are they thinking it at the time? Are they thinking, crikey, I'm stressed, but you know, this is probably a positive experience? Yeah. So yes. it's not something that they think in hindsight? No, I don't think it's in hindsight. It's just your, the way that you approach stress, if, the way that you accept it and, and, and harness it. Um, and so that's why I'm... I, that's why I have to... Obviously, we all, we all should be watching this video, shouldn't we? I'm going to go back after this and I'm going to watch the end of it so that... Um, I think I'm I think I'm pretty positive about it in general that I like periods of life where there's a lot going on and all that kind of stuff and I do get a buzz from it and I do feel that it's good but those times when it's just a little bit too much it would be nice just to have some little tricks about about how to turn it around so that it's more useful. Well it depends it depends what you mean by define what you mean by by stress here because if I think about times where I've been extremely stressed because of let's say childbirth not my own which I imagine I was fairly relaxed about at the time mm. um, but you know big events in life that are that are stressful you know I can't think of any of this let, let's say I was going <laughs> say a divorce or you know things that are uh, moving house that was very stressful mm. I don't look back on that and think or at the time I definitely didn't think well this is tremendous I thought this is rubbish but, yeah, but it, didn't you think this is a necessary thing that I've got to get through and it is controllable to a certain degree. I guess that's another part of it, whether you feel that you can do anything at the time just to to cope with it. I think I need an example here because I I can think of, I can definitely think of times where stress. Where, so if, if I think about writing, so if I think about uh, about I think about writing when I was writing my novel and I was trying to get to a deadline, and or I was just found it incredibly difficult, and I felt really stressed by it i can i'm not sure at the time that i found that i that i found it to be a necessarily positive thing but looking back now i think that was you know i just look back and think wow what a creative time in my life and mm. and i kind of i know that the stress of those writing deadlines was wrapped wrapped up in the fact that i was being creative and i was passionate about what i was doing and i cared about what i was doing and the stress was kind of part of working really hard Similarly, I've gone from a job where I felt quite um, uh, un unchallenged, I felt like, uh, in the job that I was doing, and now I'm working freelance and everything I do has a lot more pressure on it and the job that I'm doing is much more... I I'm basically... I am writing all the time. I'm writing every day as a freelance writer and editor and the stress of that is... I'm way more stressed about my work. I'm way more busy and I'm working much harder... But I feel ten times better about myself because I'm challenged and I'm and I'm really uh, enjoying the challenge and enjoying that element of stress. So I totally get all that. Mm. But are you is, does this report and are you suggesting to us right here and now that there are stressful parts of life in general which are actually really quite unpleasant? But actually, if we try and look at them as character building, then we'll live longer. I'm not sure about character building, but there's. It's definitely if you look at it in a different way and if you 
you know what? This is absolutely outrageous. As I just said, I haven't even watched the video yet. So I don't think I should be trying to give people advice on how to cope with their stress. I'm going to watch it and I will do that next week. I'll briefly feedback next week. But I think what is useful for me is that I can see that there are long periods. I've had long, long periods of work where I have thought this is just, this is everything is so uncontrollable, you know, and, and I can't see an end to this stress. And that's the kind of stress that I want to, I want to work at being more positive with because I'm actually enjoying it. It's not, it's not that it's, when I say stress, I kind of talk about, I think it's pressure rather than stress. I don't know whether stress seems to me to be a slightly different thing to pressure, you know, like we've got a lot to do and a lot, a lot of responsibility. That to me is something different to stress where you are like mentally don't feel that you're able to cope with what you're doing or physically. One thing I think I've got much better at since having children, maybe, and maybe since uh, the redundancy, which I've spoken about before. So I, I was made redundant a couple of years ago. Half the company were made redundant. Um, is I'm much better at perspective. Yeah. I, I kind of, I, I, don't get me wrong, I know that there are much worse things that can happen to people in life, but I've found that having children and certainly kind of losing my job at the exact same time as having children, that was very difficult. And both of those situations turned out to be perfectly manageable. And, um, and, you know, particularly difficult at the time, but actually they made me realise that actually, that it just, they've made it much easier for me to have perspective. So this last month, last six weeks has been challenging because of the old meningitis that I've spoken about in the last couple of weeks, not mine. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, although it was challenging and difficult, there is an element of as long as you know things are going to be okay at some point, you can kind of manage those days and weeks up until that point where it's going to be okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think it's worth acknowledging that it's different, obviously, if you find that there is something that's, you know, not going to get fixed. Totally. It's all about control. I think for me, I, as I said, I enjoy having a busy life and I have an extremely busy life I think the thing that I get most stressed about really in in the through you know all of the madness of the different things I'm doing at work or outside of work or whatever the thing that stresses me most is when I don't get to write when I when I'm not writing poetry I feel constantly that 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 I'm not doing what I really want to be doing and I think that's very interesting because it's like, you know, you have all of this responsibility at work. That's fine. But just the idea that you're not getting the freedom or you're not dedicating the time in your own life to do the thing that you really want to do before, you know, everything ends in the future and you've got no more time to do it. That's what's stressing me out. And so I was reading this week a very interesting article, and I know that you read it too, Ian, from The Daily Beast. It was by Jamie Todd Rubin. And I think that this actually was was quite interesting to read relating back to that whole stress thing because he wrote a piece about how I wrote 4,000 words in a year. Well, no, 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 400,000 words. What did I say? Four, I think you said 4,000. Oh, yeah, 400,000. Absolutely, yeah, way more than that. Um, and uh, he was talking about uh, data and how gathering data on his writing habits and what he was doing every day in writing um, had made him more effective. And just actually realizing that he had done something made him do more so i think that i might start 
noting down what I'm doing when. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever started to make notes about, you know, how much time you're putting into writing your own stuff or how many words you're getting done at a certain time? Well, when I was when I was working towards a deadline, which I often was when I was writing the novel, I didn't I didn't need that. I didn't need a daily reminder because it was just what I did. And again, I've, I, I, this is something I, that we've we've talked about before. I've talked about endlessly this notion of sacrifice. But I knew when I was in those periods where I was working towards a deadline that 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 I first of all I had to do it. Otherwise, I wasn't going to get it done um, every day. You know, so let's say every day. So this guy basically said he writes every day. So I, I was writing every day, and I didn't need something to remind me. It was just that's what I, I had to do because it was just. It's hard to. Do, it, it feels it's it's hard to go back to that time when I was trying to get my first novel written and, and published. I just I, again, I perhaps didn't realise it at the time, but I was so ambitious and. I don't know if confidence quite the right word, but I was just so unbelievably determined, and I never ever questioned the uh, the idea of writing every day. For I mean, this, that wasn't every day for a period of several years. It was usually for a, a condensed period of say a few months. I would be just absolutely on it every day to try and get the the novel finished. So I remember, I remember then I didn't need that kind of reminder. But of course, as we've talked about in uh, since having kids and. Um, and and life just becoming much more complex than it was when I was in my twenties. Um, I don't uh, even if I even if I what wanted to, I couldn't write every day. I just couldn't. And I found this out by doing exactly what you say, making a note. So it's a really common piece of uh, writing advice is to, for example, some people will just get a calendar, stick it next to their computer and every time you write you cross it out. This may even have been a piece of advice that Stephen King gave in his on writing book, I can't quite remember. Some famous author has recommended doing this. I think it was probably Stephen King. But basically you just put a cross next to your on the calendar to say that you've written. Now you don't necessarily have to say how much you've written, just to say that on that day something was wrote. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I tried this and two things happened first five days I wrote something and I was also including how many words and it was never very many between 100 and 500 Mm. Um, but that was as much as I could do Um, and then I missed a couple of days because I had to because it was something to do with something child related or just life related it was just it was impossible I just couldn't do it Um, so I missed a couple of days and I thought oh damn it I've messed this up already and then I wrote the next day and thought it's okay I can do this then I missed another day and the the problem the the inevitability of not be of the way my life currently is with two small children um of not being able to write every day keeping a track of that <laughs> was actually quite detrimental it beca- i just looked at it and realized that actually i can't write every day and this is proving it to me now maybe yeah. maybe i was using that data badly maybe i should have been much more maybe i should have used the stress of that and been more positive about it but or oh, but maybe you should have done it in a way that you were noting it down without necessarily checking up on yourself so that you could look back on it like a couple of months later and look at a general trend rather than looking at it every day and going, did I yesterday? No, I didn't. I'm failing. Maybe. The author the author of this piece, though, he's, he quantifies his entire life, doesn't he? I mean, he's, he's, he said that he went from, I think, not writing at all to... He said he can write 500 words in 20 minutes. Yeah. I, I tra- uh, he says he's... He, 
Yeah, you challenged that. I, I challenged those. I challenged the potential quality of those words. Well, um, that that was my immediate thought on reading this article. Was first of all, excellent. Everything you said, I think that is that's fantastic. But then I was wondering, what is the quality of what you're going to get out of what you're doing? Because he says that he's averaged between thirty and forty minutes a day writing actually even though he's got a full-time job he's got kids and everything um from just since he started making these notes and things like that and also little other things which we can briefly mention in a minute to to help him get focused um but what i'm wondering is is does the quality matter not all of it has to be good as long as something is good i mean if you're obviously if you're writing a novel and you've just done a year and you've averaged 30 minutes a day and you know only half of it is any good that's a different thing but for someone like me i think this might help me get you know spur me on at the moment because i think just getting back into it would be great and then i can you know tweak the quality <laughs> just just getting something down yeah, and, and one of the problems that I have with doing this writing every day, because I was doing it on the novel, the second novel that I'm writing, and I was trying to write something every day for that. But the reality of a, of a novel, when you're particularly, I think, when you're starting off, is that it's just so vast. And you, although you although you can you do chunk things up and you write in in obviously in smaller chunks, smaller pieces, um, there's a lot of kind of looking at index cards and just deciding what goes where and that can take 20 minutes just to just to kind of work out which mm. bit you actually think is the appropriate thing to write or all that kind of thing now don't get me wrong i do realize that there's you can take that to way to an extreme where you just don't actually do any of the writing so there's definitely something in just picking up a well picking up a pen or a keyboard or your mobile phone which i've talked about before which is how i've been doing some writing or an ipad or something and just getting something down i think it's definitely a good thing and getting into a rhythm uh of, of doing that is is definitely the right thing to do um mm. and and i think it i think it's well i think it's useful to have a second thing a second project so i talked last week about this script that i've been writing it's it's hard to call it even a script but it's just basically like a, a monologue type podcast thing which I started writing because I, 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 it was like a little paragraph in the novel that I knew wasn't going to end up in the novel. It was just a bit stupid, really. and But I thought it was funny, so I just kept on going with it. And then I created this character, and I thought, well, actually, this might actually be something in itself. So I think it's good to have a main project, in my case, mm. a novel, but then have something else that is not frivolous and pointless and not, not you know, not insignificant, but, but potentially that, more easily accessible at a, a at short notice. That's what Jamie Todd Rubin was saying as well. You know, have different different types of things going on at the same time for exactly that reason. Yeah. Just so that when you do decide, well, today I need to write today, so I'm going to write that you could don't you don't do what I've just described. When you look at your novel and go, well, actually, I need to move some index cards around. You yeah, can exactly. actually do the writing, but it just doesn't it isn't on your main project. Yeah, or, or work on a different bit of the, the novel maybe than the bit that you need to set out all your index cards on. I mean, I, the index cards thing are interesting because they, it, it's quite parallel with, for me, I feel like I need to get into, it's almost like climbing mentally into a poetry world out of the normal world. Like if you're going to, if I'm going to sit down and write, I need to have at least not thought about anything else for a bit except, you know, 
being in my own imaginary world. You have to get into that world. And um, I think that I'm using that as a bit of an excuse. Uh, this guy here, he was saying that he's realized that he doesn't need his own space to write. And as, that as soon as he realized that, that he could just write anywhere, he could write with his kids jumping around on the sofa next to him or the TV on or different screens or whatever. Um, you just have to be able to tune out. Then he got loads more done. So I'm wondering whether I need to start thinking about how I can tune out the world quicker. I definitely got, I definitely was on the track to doing this. I think I, we saw, I sort of talked about it a, a few episodes ago, how I was using my mobile phone more to actually write real things and use my iPad mini. Like I haven't got a laptop now. I have like a main computer, desktop computer, where I do most, pretty much everything on, um, including record this podcast right now. Um, but actually I was found I was using my phone and my iPad just to snatch 20 minutes here and there and get things get things done and I do think that it, it is very easy to get into the mindset not that you need a tranquil like you know like the, the traditional desk in front of a sea view with you know someone feeding you grapes you don't need that although that is ideal um, but it's getting out of the idea that you need to be in a certain place at a certain time um, and mm. and with a certain piece of equipment or a certain app or something like that. I just, yeah, it's just, I think sometimes it's all so at odds with with the way we live our lives. Like, I mean, in many ways, it'd just be so much easier if we were all just wandering around in rags with, you know, scraps of paper, looking up at the clouds. That sounded absolutely ridiculous. You know what I mean. We are seem to be further from what we're writing about even though everything is closer to us I think that that's profound <laughs> well I'll give me a minute I'm just going to go off in my world now and start a Game of Thrones I've just been thinking about Game of Thrones when um, we haven't talked about Game of Thrones for a- no we haven't but with that before we if we're going to mention it properly before we do that um, you, you just did no, but I just wanted to say about when they start doing their, what's it called, walk things. Whoa, 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 whoa. People, what? People, you can't just start I've talking about Game of Thrones. I've just put a word out there, which if people haven't caught up or if they haven't started, that's not going to ruin anything. Well, I didn't hear what it was because I was too busy trying to stop you ruining everyone's <laughs> life. <laughs> There's no spoiler needed. I'm just talking about getting into a brain space. That's all that... Um, oh, <laughs> the, yeah, I think... The way I'd... that I look... I imagine that I was just going to sit there and my eyes would start flickering and I'd be gone. Anyway. I, d- I didn't hear what the word... What was the word? What was the Game of Thrones related word? I said warg. Warg? Yeah. What's a warg? No, but I'm, I, that, that's that there I'm not going to say because that would be a spoiler for people if they hadn't started. I have Rewinding. started. I've seen the whole thing and I don't know what a warg is. Hang on a minute. Hold on one second. You can hear me typing, right? I think so, yes. Yes, it is Warg. Well, then you have not been watching it right. How do you spell Warg? W-A-R-G. I think you need to go back and watch the entire four series that we just watched. I, so then I can't I, do that. Let's just say, hooray, isn't it awesome? The last season was amazing, wasn't it? Game of Thrones. It's always Game been... Game of Thrones. I, I, I think that it's... I think it's uh, fantastic in... 80% of its ways. Yeah, I still have very, as do a lot of people, very difficult issues with the gender-based things in it. 
but um you know it's got lots of good fight scenes and sex sex and stuff so hey let's crack on <laughs> I, mean, I, have, I have to say I am watching Breaking Bad me and Susan are watching Breaking Bad at the moment that's my wife's name just threw that in there as if um, no one was what listening what is this 2009 <laughs> I know I know I'm, uh, I apologise I'm sort of halfway through just, d- just season two no it's fine I mean, I've only just finished the entire thing well I've managed to I've managed to avoid any spoilers whatsoever with uh, Breaking Bad however Oh, this is so tempting now. <laughs> I have so much power over you. But isn't it? I mean, Game of Thrones is, is you know, it's big and bombastic and it's, you know, it's fantastical and, you know, exciting television. But along with Mad Men, I think, um, Breaking Bad, the writing in that is just unbelievable. And the, the acting helps, which is also amazing. But just the, the, the writing in Breaking Bad, like there's just some absolutely pitch perfect lines just well almost every line just absolutely perfect hmm yeah that's why it's good people people who think it's good it's not because it's tense or because it's um, got good characters or anything like that although those those things are to do with the writing it's all about the way it's written it's amazing yeah and the way I'd say the way it's set out as well that you could never imagine that it could go from where it starts to where it ends in the time that you've got. Well. I always find. Okay. I don't let's leave that there. I'm not gonna say anything else. I don't trust I you. I no, don't, you shouldn't. I don't trust you. Right, we need to talk we've we've got two entire subjects and a xylophone to play. Oh uh, well how much time would you say roughly we have left of this episode? I'm guessing, but I think we have um seventeen minutes. Blimey. I mean, we're not going to be able to, to fit in two whole things to talk about. Which one would you prefer to carry over to next week? Well, do you know what? Let's do both of them because we're going to do... Let's mix it up. This is our show. We're going to do two listeners' questions, which means they're both going to be relatively short but extremely interesting. Listeners' questions! Very quickly! <laughs> <laughs> which one first? We'll go with an email that we received, and I'm not a chance to reply to this email. I apologise, uh, Karen. Um, an email from Karen Elizabeth who emailed me actually just to uh, I think she said that she didn't really like the sound of your voice or something like that so she just emailed me stop um, it, don't say things like that some people that's not true. might take you as someone who is not funny and is not joking when they say that, alright, I'm but just saying they would definitely take me as someone who is not funny, um, I was joking she didn't say that at all, I apologise Karen for completely misrepresenting you what you did say, though, Karen, I'm talking to you now as if you're here, is um, it was about uh, the, the whole self-deprecation thing that we talked about last week, but also that incident that I mentioned very briefly where I'd had someone go uh, a bit far, shall we say, with the criticism. It got a bit personal, and I'd found it quite difficult. Um, and I didn't really elaborate on it much more than that, but... Karen's email was very supportive and it was more about about criticism in general. Anyway, so the suggestion was that, from Karen's, that the idea, if you put yourself out there, that you need to be prepared for some level of criticism. Um, And at the time, a few people said that to me. They kind of said, well, you know, it is a bit, it is not very nice and very odd. It was very odd. Um, But, you know, you do a podcast, you put yourself on the internet, you use Twitter, so, you know, maybe you are 
opening yourself up to that in some way or another. Um, and I, so that was kind of the, the the crux of the of the uh, of the email. So it's all kind of you know fair enough. Um, but she talked about the question in this is about I think is about how to handle criticism. So there is that kind of criticism where it's just a bit odd and it's on the internet and I don't think that's really particularly valuable to anyone to go into any detail about that but I think it's interesting to very quickly go over criticism and the different levels of criticism you can get when you're a writer and you're for example asking for feedback um, on your work which is what we all we all do whichever mm-hmm. stage we're at so that was what I th- how I thought I would sort of answer that that question mm-hmm. how how would you handle criticism? Just as a, let me ask you, you answer the question first, how to handle criticism as a writer? Um, well, I have actually, before we even got this question, I've been reading a little bit about criticism this week. Um, and we'll put this in the show notes to, um, a great website called brainpickings.org. I don't know. I don't know whether you've ever got bits through from them, but Maria Popova wrote a piece, um, about Maria Maria who? Popova. Okay. Popova. Um, about uh, Malcolm Gladwell's perspective on criticism and uh, various other things he talked about at the same time. Um, but it, what he was talking about was essentially the fact that it's, it's quite difficult these days because everybody feels they have the right to criticise. And rather than this idea that criticism is, or being or the, you know, being allowed to criticise someone is, is a privilege that you earn rather than something you just do because you have seen something they've done you have an opinion or you've read something. Um, and I think, you know, with, with that's, that's something that we all writers face, that anybody can, can be a critic and anybody can give you criticism. So I think the first thing for me is to say, okay, who has given the criticism before even anything else? You know, if it's just somebody that's just said something offhand, you take it at that level. If it's somebody that you, whose opinion you respect and who has earned your respect because they've not just said straight out, that's crap or that's whatever, then then I think it's fantastic to engage with it. I've had um, some, re- some reviews, some very good reviews, I'm very happy to say. And actually, I think the most useful one was the first one that, that, that I got that had a slight bit of criticism in it. And I think I might have mentioned this before. But it was also because if you respect the person that's done it, then you you know that they're talking to you coming from the same kind of perspective and with the same goal in mind, and that is to, you know, say how you can how you can be better human being, how you can produce better art for the world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've pretty much given the answer that I would have given as well. Yeah, and we, I can, I'd like to actually give the link to to the review in the show notes because it's it was an online uh, review. It was really in depth review. It was like three or four pages long, and it was fantastic. Um, you should um, you should definitely do that. But where would you find those show notes if you were a listener? You would find them at um, oh five by five dot tv slash wfyl slash one one seven, wouldn't you? Yes, no, need you would. <laughs> um, and I think that that this whole review here because I, I haven't had loads of reviews so that you know maybe if you're a reviewer you'll say well of course this is the way that you review people but th- this review was very in-depth and it built on some steps that I was reading also this week about how to set up um, a critical response to something as how to compose a successful critical commentary of something 
Um, this was also on brain pickings. I'll put this in, in the show notes too. Um, and uh, yeah, just very, very briefly from Daniel Dennett, this was this piece about how you, before you even say anything, you need to, first of all, try to express the position of the person who is who has produced this thing. You need to list points of agreement first so that you can set yourself up next to where, where the person is coming from. Anything you've learned from them and only after you've done those things would you be able to re- put any kind of rebuttal or criticism. Um, and I, I feel that, that this review did that. It was, it was exactly in that kind of vein, if that makes sense. It, yep, it makes total sense. And I, I, I too, um, had, have had, uh, from, since the book's come out, I've had a couple of reviews that have been really insightful. And I read, and, you know, generally you know, 90% very positive, but with a kind of, however, this bit, I thought, you know, such and such. And um, and I took those comments on board and thought, yeah, you know, that's fair enough. I can, that's that's good criticism. And that's that the way that I answered Karen's question of you know how to handle criticism was I thought about I thought about how there are three kinds of criticism so I thought one the examples that you've just given um, or for example if you if you give your work to um, like your writing group or if, or to um, uh, a fellow writer who you trust that kind of thing and they they give you stuff back and some of it they, they say oh this is really good but maybe you should try cutting this section that type of thing that's good criticism. That's the kind of criticism you want, and you're absolutely right. It's about who's giving it to you. It's really important. Um, yeah. But you know, that's good criticism. It makes sense, and it's something you can act on. Then number two, there is useful criticism. There is really good criticism that is actually um, uh, insightful and can lead to you actually making positive changes to your work. But it can actually be quite hard to deal with. So some people can be quite brutal with their criticism, or it could be that there's a piece of work, a passage that you really love and that you just think is um, was definitely going to be something that someone really enjoyed, but actually they've come back and said, this needs changing. That can be hard to deal with. Useful criticism, good criticism, but hard to deal with. Absolutely, and that, yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of, that middle section is probably the most common, I would say. <laughs> most of the time we struggle to things are hard to deal with you know criticism is criticism at the end of the day but as long as it's useful then you're fine yeah and then the third one i think is where it can just go too far and and oh, what about one where you've you feel that actually it's been misunderstood that's another kind i think well okay even going too far i yeah. can give you i can give you an actual example in the in this review which i think you know the there, there were other parts of the criticism which I I took on board as you said there and I thought that's that's true but um the reviewer and you know what this is really funny fantastic poet by the way um (laughs) classic Irish name where I've I've said to you before oh no that's not how you pronounce that Irish name and now this really I am going to show myself up if I even attempt to pronounce Doreen's name and I'm not even going to pronounce her last name it's just going to be too embarrassing um You can see how it's spelt in the show notes. Anyway, um, she wrote, Other poems cover familiar ground for a first collection, including the obligatory moon poem. Did you write a poem about your arse? (laughs) Well, yes, I did, actually. No. Um, That was interesting to me because it was not a poem about the moon. (laughs) And I thought, hang on, hang on a minute. 
first of all, I did. It was quite a wake up call. It was like that's very interesting that if you know every first collection, you know, oh, there's another moon poem. But this this poem was I. It was about something entirely different. It was about this ancient Greek idea that they thought that the light that, you know, your iris of your eyes was actually your soul coming out, that you could see somebody's soul through their eyes. That's what the poem was about. Nothing to do with the moon at all. Well, the moon was in it. But the moon was only in it because I was talking about darkness, like about how that's something that if it's dark, you're never going to see, truly see somebody. Well, you're right. There is a category of uh, feedback. I get, but to me, it, it, where where you just where it's, you've either been misinterpreted or it's just you know you just disagree with it. But I would put that still in the useful category. I think that's useful for you to know that someone has misinterpreted the the, the old moon thing, and perhaps the fact that you included the moon in the foot in just maybe just including the word moon opens you up potentially to someone saying what she said. I think it's probably a bit harsh, but um, yeah, you're right there. I take that on board. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. But but it's it's it is useful, hard to deal with. I've had people misinterpret mine, but useful. Um the third the third one where it goes too far and becomes unacceptable is almost always in my experience where someone goes from talking about your work to somehow extrapolating your work and talking about you as a person and when it becomes personal and mm. they're being critical it's just way, way, way too much. Yeah, and I imagine that that's the kind of, of criticism that people are experiencing more and more. Because you can see it. I mean, as as you know, in my day job, I um, I do a big Facebook page. It is insane what people write. Absolutely mm. insane what people feel they have the right to write to other people online. It's just, you know, that's that's just the way it is online. You can just write whatever you want and get away with it. So I imagine that, that that's something that a lot of writers just experience more and more these days. Don't you think the personal or, or that people can't differentiate between the personal and, and the professional, like what's actually yes. writing? Yeah. And, and just to very briefly go back to the, this, the incident that I, w- I was referring to that Karen was picking up on. Um, the reason I found it so upsetting was because I just couldn't get my head around that someone saw me on Twitter or talking on this podcast and wasn't able to go to associate me with just a normal person with a wife and two kids and a full-time job that they couldn't that, that you know that they couldn't they that, that they couldn't see that if they'd said what they'd said in the things they'd written to me in real life that it would be just way way beyond what was socially acceptable you know, I'm an ent- a complete stranger. So I was, that's the bit, it was this idea of personal thing that I just, I struggled to get my head around. But, yeah. you know, useful but hard to deal with criticism, perhaps from Karen, maybe putting myself out there. She needs to be prepared for that. Shall we very quickly, quicker than anyone's ever done one before, do the last listener's question? And I would like you to play. Done it. There we go. And uh, the last. I didn't even finish what I was going to say. Was no, we, didn't, we don't have time for you to finish what you're saying. No, you, you had actually better finish what you're saying. I was going to ask you to do it in a specific style, but I think we'll go with thrash metal, which is what you just did. <laughs> oh, I feel like I've missed out now. What was the style, just quickly, that you wanted? I was going to ask you to do the listener's question tune in the style of... Um, um, Vivaldi? No, I was going to what? go... I don't think I'd actually decided. Let's go for um, 80s soft rock. 
I think I uh, nailed that. I don't even have this listener's question in. You have it. No, this was an email from Stephen Chubb, a listener. And um, thanks for listening, Stephen. And thanks for getting in touch. He sent me a link to... uh, He said he didn't didn't email you. He said he didn't... Something about the sound of your voice, but... He didn't do that either. Um, am I gonna get, I'm going to get a right for your life email address. I am. Yeah, you are. That's true. That's true. So then, then it'll all, all this, all these mis- misunderstandings about my voice that you keep telling people that won't even be valid anymore. No. Anyway, what did what did what did Chubber say? Now, <laughs> you did this before, and now we've talked. We've there's been a lot of nonsense on this episode, a lot of interludes like this. But I have to say, you've made jokes about people's names before uh, but it wasn't someone who actually was kind enough to send in an email I said, but that's the sign of affection isn't it yeah well maybe his friends call him that uh, thanks for getting in touch Stephen um, this was an article that Stephen sent in in the New York Times um, I was a digital bestseller and it's a very it's a long article so I will try and very quickly summarise it but basically uh, a journalist who uh, decided to ended up. I'm going to cut this way shorter than it is. I'm not left enough time. Basically, ended up self-publishing um, uh, or digitally digitally publishing with a small publisher uh, a piece of long journalism and publishing it on Amazon. And the tone of this piece um, in in the um, is it the New York Times. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, the tone of this piece is kind of, in my opinion, very naive. It was almost like I thought that I was going to be a millionaire kind of thing. And they say you know. The title is "I was uh, a digital bestseller," and the fact that the reason that with an exclamation mark and the ironic exclamation mark is because it sold five hundred copies and managed to get into the top. I haven't got it in front of me, but the top, however many. Um, but they were paid for this. They were paid for this uh, this uh, this book, and um, and although the story says that it was quite difficult to claim that money because the small publisher eventually went out of business, and uh, the 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 piece of work, the the book, or that was published through them was just mysteriously taken off so i am not for a second suggesting that this was a very easy situation or a very desirable situation that uh, the his name is tony horowitz the author of this piece mm. um but as someone who's uh, didn't get paid an awful lot of money for his book and has had very little marketing budget behind his book i find it quite difficult i'm talking about me and the third person there um i find i find it all a a bit like I say naive and I didn't have an awful lot of sympathy I mean uh, I know that I'm not really I'm not really involved in the world of journalism so maybe I'm being naive and not really understanding how bad this situation was for this person but to me if you get paid $15,000 for a piece of long writing then that ain't bad yeah but I think it's an entirely different situation when this whole idea about long form pieces which require research where you have to actually go to a place and immerse yourself in a place for a time and all the expenses that go in to becoming an expert on that thing and that that situation for that period of time that's the problem that they're talking about here that if nobody is gonna nobody you can't be sure that you're gonna get that money back if you'll go if you know you're gonna be published with a very small e-printer that could potentially go out of business at any time and actually the royalties that come in don't even cover a a fraction of of what it costs to actually go to where you ended up going 
then that's that's what he's talking about. The fact that you can't, there's nothing going to fund deeper research into subjects. And it is just, you know, quickly go and look at that and write a quick piece on that. And then we'll sell yes. that for that and do that, okay. which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think perhaps I'm being a bit unfair. I think what, what the naivety, I think, was over the idea that by publishing on Amazon with a small publisher that he was going to somehow, like you say, somehow be able to earn a living out of that straight away. But I'll just read this, Pete, just for, for balance and to back up what you just said. A little extract. As recently as the 1980s and 90s, writers like me could reasonably aspire to a career and living wage. I was dispatched to costly and difficult places like Iraq to work for months on a single story. Later, as a full-time book author, I received advances large enough to fund years of research. How can how many young writers can realistically dream of that now? Online journalism pays little or nothing and demands round-the-clock feeds. And then the end of the last sentence... I, uh, meanwhile, I'm planning. I'm planning to. I'm back to planning my next book. I don't yet know on what subject, but I do know its form. Hard copy between covers, a book I can put on the shelf and look at forever, even if it doesn't sell. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I think that's quite an interesting um, realization to come to that that it's. It could potentially be better to have something that people can see on a shelf, and something that's not just going to get lost in the ether, even though it's easily like people are going to find it more easily accessible once they've got it that it could be easier for people to find out about something if it physically exists was seems to go against against the current paradigm of thinking don't you think yes it does it does and um yeah it was i like that idea i like that idea i know i I, I kind of know what he's saying you know at least if like with with my book you know if it's not going to sell a million copies would I rather have the the physical thing there not selling a million copies or would I rather have some, uh, you know, just a, a screen? Yeah. It flash across a screen in life, metaphorically and physically. Indeed. So it was an interesting piece. So thank you, Steve, for, for yeah. sending that in. Not much yeah. of a listener's question, actually, I've just realised. But... Um, a, a listener's like, contribution. What do you think of this? Yeah. Yeah, and we welcome all listener contributions. And the way that you make a contribution is by getting in touch with me via email at ian at rightfearlife, I A I N at rightfearlife.net, or on Twitter at Ian Broom. Or they could. At the Flying Poet. Indeed. And I do um, have a, a Facebook page, an author page, Donna Sorensen Poetry on Facebook. Um, and one of our listeners has just found me there this week, so that's why I thought I'd better say it, because I don't normally mention that it's there, but people actually do find it. So I did wonder about setting up a Right for Your Life. Um, I did think maybe a Facebook page, just like a compact. I mean, I don't blog in the way that I used to, but um, mm. just like a, a, a joint, something we both update, like a joint companion. I don't want to say blog, because I don't think that we will have the time to actually do proper blogging, but maybe just something where we post links and the kind of things relevant to the stuff we talk about. Don't know. Interesting perspective. Maybe a Facebook Prospect. Facebook page or a Tumblr, something like that. Get in touch if you want us to do that. Yeah, <laughs> great, awesome. Well, um, as usual, we've just managed to talk our way through um, a massive chunk of time. Um, it's been a pleasure, Ian. It's not been a chore. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good to know. I'll see you next week, eh? We'll do. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.